Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 704 of the Juicebox Podcast. On today's program, we're going to be speaking with Melanie, who has Modi diabetes and a host of other interesting things to talk about. Please remember while we're talking that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you're a U.S. resident who has type 1 diabetes or is the caregiver of someone with type 1, please consider going to t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. Join the registry, take the survey, help people living with type 1 diabetes while you're supporting the juice box podcast. t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. If you're looking for a place online to talk to other people who live with diabetes, you should check out the Facebook group. For the juice box podcast it's called juice box podcast type 1 diabetes it's on facebook it's a private group with over twenty-five thousand members there's something there for everyone this episode of the juice box podcast is sponsored by omnipod makers of the omnipod dash and the omnipod 5. you can learn more today at omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Get yourself a tubeless insulin pump. Get the Omnipod. The podcast is also sponsored today by US Med. White glove treatment for your diabetes supplies is just a phone call away. 888-721-1514. Call that number or go to usmed.com forward slash juice box to get a free benefits check. Wouldn't it be great to get your diabetes supplies without a hassle? I know it would be U.S. Med. All right. That was not, well, it was my fault, Molly, but I'm blaming, <laughs> I'm blaming my dogs. Uh, hey, okay. that works. Okay. They can't defend themselves. It's well, the perfect scapegoat. Yeah. So there's like a few minutes before. Do you really care about this? Do you want me to tell you? <laughs> I, I love talking. All so right. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, then We're, you're being recorded. Introduce yourself. You don't have to use your last name if you don't want to. Then I'll jump in and tell you. So my name is Melanie. I'm super excited to be here. Um, what do you what, what do you want me to tell you? All right, you're done, Melanie. That's good enough. We can start talking. Uh, okay, perfect. <laughs> so, um, I was up very late last night. Uh, there's my mom's been having some health issues, and oh, so I'm sorry I, to hear that. You know, you're very kind. Thank you. Uh, so I tried to sleep in a little this morning, and I still figured I could do everything I wanted to do: take a shower you know, blah, blah, blah. And then I look over and my wife is sick and she's been sick for a couple of weeks now. She has some crazy cough. It's not COVID. It's just mm. really bad. And it's beating her up really good. And I look over and I'm like, oh God, she's not even awake. I was expecting her to be downstairs. So I thought, oh, the poor dogs haven't been outside yet. <laughs> so now I've in a short amount of time, woken myself up, taken a shower, gotten dressed. <laughs> and I'm like, by the way, there's you have something talking in the background i don't know what that was is it oh it's my daughter oh, she's okay. running around ah, that's fine um so i'm like well the poor dogs i'll let them out real quick so i'm just gonna let them out let them pee do what they got to do and i'll feed them when i'm done talking to you or kelly will come down and she'll feed them, you know, whatever um they go outside 
immediately break ranks and go in two different directions. One is meandering around, won't even pee. I'm, I'm literally like, I'm like, Indy, just pee, pee now, pee. I got to go. You got to pee. Now I'm texting you. Hey, Molly, I'm going to be late. Um, I get the big one in the house and I look over, cannot find the little one everywhere. Anyway, I am looking <laughs> and looking all over my property and then I just kind of widen my search pattern in my eyes. And sure enough, Melanie, he's shitting on my neighbor's driveway. <laughs> of course. On of the course. driveway, not in their yard where I can maybe pretend that their dog did it, but in their driveway. So <laughs> I now I'm, I'm in my neighbor's driveway picking up dog crap. And, um, <laughs> And in anyway, in the rush to go outside to help them to go out, I didn't click one simple button, which is why I couldn't hear you while you were doing everything. Gotcha. No, that sounds like my dogs. I have one of those dogs too. He like will not go when you need him to go. But you're way kinder than I am. I just throw him in the backyard and I'm like, okay, stay out there for two hours. <laughs> See if I care. I have to be honest. It's going to sound crazy. I don't want to rush them. Like, I wouldn't want somebody running into the bathroom yelling, now, Scott, go do it right now, you know? Like, <laughs> I mean, it's... Just in case. In case I'm having a, a moment. Uh, but but I, I really did have to get upstairs. And I really, very badly, because my wife is sick, didn't want her to come down and have to deal with everything. Yeah, for so, sure. Anyway. No, that's that's funny. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you got that all sorted out. <laughs> the downside of it is you spent three minutes talking to yourself. <laughs> no, it's all good. I... I work from home and so zoom calls are like my life. Oh, okay. So I I'm used to, to staring at a blank zoom screen. So you're good. Gotcha. Okay. So, uh, why are you on the podcast? Let me think if I can remember anything at all. Lada. Mo- Modi, Modi actually. Damn it. So close. Cl- close though. Was I? One of, one of the unknowns. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Modi. I am a Modi type three diabetic. Okay. You are. And how yes. long have you known that about yourself? So (laughs) my story is really funny. I was misdiagnosed as a type two when I was 18. I had one of the worst doctors imaginable. Um, I went into him with high blood sugar. My dad's a diabetic. My aunt's a diabetic. My grandmother's a diabetic. And we just don't know beyond that. Um, Went into him. I was like 18 years old. I think I weighed maybe like 120 pounds. I'm five, seven. So just to give you a little bit of context, like that's really thin for me. Mm -hmm. And he told me start metformin, don't gain weight. That was literally his advice, which obviously, you know, is the worst thing (laughs) you can possibly do. Wow. So it was a very slow progression since at least for me, my Modi was kind of a slow onset. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't actually realize that I had what I had until I was pregnant with my first daughter last year. And I'm 20, I just turned 29. So this was like a decade of literally just trying to figure out what was going on. Like, wait, so when you say you're trying to figure out what's going on, what is happening? Like take all the diagnosis I'm making quotes out of it for a second. Like what was your day to day like? So honestly, like to give you a little backstory, like my dad is a diabetic and if I had to put money on it, he's probably Modi as well, but okay. has never been diagnosed. And so I first learned about. Hey, know, Melanie, could you sorry. put that kid in the closet or something, please? We're talking here. Yeah. yeah okay. Thanks very much. I'm just, I'm. Yeah. Let me ask my husband. He's, normally she. I'm teasing she you. But that's lovely. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm like, well, I will try. I was just I'm kidding. Sorry. I thought saying put her in a closet was um, 
fanciful enough that you would know. <laughs> no, you're I was were literally you, just looking over like, um, do you need me to um, put her upstairs with my husband, though? Were you considering putting her in a closet? Let's talk about that first. Well, I mean... You weren't, If right? it's necessary. No, I mean, not at all. Podcast, <laughs> not at all. If you, can, um, if you can relocate her, that'd be lovely. Yeah, for sure. Okay. I'm one second. Take Let me mute this for just two seconds. You're fine. So I can yell up the stairs. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to pause this or not. I'm so bored. Okay. Sorry. Very quick. Yeah. So she's like obsessed with her show Coco Melon. So I thought that she would just sit there and veg, but of course, this is the one day that she's like, Whoa. "No, I need your, I need your attention right now." Hold on a second. Show Coco Melon. Yeah. Yeah, Coco Melon. It's like this little um, kids show. Oh. It's really, it's really the worst thing on the planet, but she likes it. So. Popped right up here. So we just go with it. Okay. Thank you, babe. Appreciate you. Okay, kid officially in the closet. Okay. Wow, hold on a second. Coco Melon are just on YouTube is nursery rhymes. Yeah. It's kind of like not bad but not good um animation. And these videos have massive downloads. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I'm I'm pretty sure that they're like subliminally messaging these kids. Um like did you ever see Zoolander? Yeah. Where like they like have like the <laughs> subliminal stuff going in the background i'm pretty sure it's something like that no lie these videos have anywhere between eight and 25 million views a piece and they're like 40 minutes long yeah each episode has like eight to ten little nursery songs and they're just dreadful wow they're absolutely dreadful here's one with 50 million views (laughs) yeah in in a year I probably contributed about a thousand. So. They also do it in Spanish, <laughs> Portuguese, what looks like Japanese to me. Yep. Arabic. Yep, it's... Oh, somebody's a genius. I know, right? Like you look at it and you're like, I could have done that. Oh, I could I could have I could have figured that out. I so. am it's, I am so mad at myself right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know you picked the wrong field. <laughs> Why am I working so hard? <laughs> Exactly. Well, the ones that get me are like, have you seen the ones where people will just open toys? Like, it's literally just a camera, like, pointed at their hands, and they'll just, like, open toys. I saw one kid do that once. I learned how much money he makes for doing it, and it just, I never, I never thought about it again. It made me so upset. It, like, makes you sick to your stomach, right? (laughs) Like, this, this. (laughs) All right, so now that we've dispensed with your kid. So you were saying that um, you think your father had has Modi, too? Yeah. So my first encounter with the whole concept of diabetes was, I think I was about eight or 10. I was pretty young. And my dad had come home from a work site. He's an alarm technician. So he goes out to like work sites and he had stepped on a screw um, and he didn't feel it. He had complete like um, neuropathy in his feet and he kind of just ignored it. Hmm. Um, I think it was more so my parents didn't have insurance. There's six of us. So it was kind of like this I'm just going to ignore it because we don't have money for it type of thing. Yeah. And so he comes home and that's literally one of the first things I remember from my childhood is he like takes his shoe off and it's soaked with blood. And so he ended up in the hospital and they almost had to amputate his foot because he had blood poisoning, but luckily he didn't. But that was like my first encounter with diabetes. Hmm. And from that point on, I was just terrified, like just scared to death that I was going to be diabetic and that was going to happen to me. But like, nobody talked to me. Like my parents are very much so like, we're just not going to talk about things. We're going to kind of just handle them and then sweep them under the rug. Oh, how Catholic of them. 
Catholic? Did I get it right? Not quite, Not but quite. close. close. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, it was just, my parents, my dad just doesn't talk. Like he's not a talker. And then my mom just doesn't like dealing with things. Tell so me, tell me, um, on the day your dad's foot got screwed, how old were you about? I want to say probably about eight or 10. So you really, around that edge. So you worried age. about it through your, those formative years. And then when you were 18, somebody said, Hey, you have diabetes. Yeah. So it was an absolutely just like terrifying thing. Um, Cause it actually was I Okay. So the way that I even learned to like get myself checked, cause I didn't have insurance until I was 18 and like living on my own, I started working. Um, and so wait, wait, stop. You didn't have insurance as a child. No, my parent, no, nobody had insurance in our family. Okay. Okay. So it was just, and, and I mean, like, my parents had six kids. My dad didn't have like a great job. Like I understand. I'm just amazed at the, the things they pulled off. Um, how, how but yeah, old, we didn't. How old were you the first time you got your teeth cleaned? Uh, I was like eight okay. but because they had like a family dentist that would like give them really good deals and stuff. Okay. Um, so I, I definitely saw the dentist surprisingly enough of all the things you think my parents would care about. They cared about our teeth, but <laughs> I, I just, I, I just don't know like people who, didn't grow up broke. Like, I don't know if they would like think about stuff like that. Like I didn't go to the dentist until I was an adult and I, I had health insurance. Yeah. Yeah. It's I literally, my mom told us when we were kids, she was like, don't break an arm. We're not going to the doctor. (laughs) Like that was that, that was our like preventative measure. It wasn't (laughs) like, let me teach you to climb this tree. It was, if you break an arm, it's just, it is what it is. Melanie, do you know the term put down? Because (laughs) You fall out of that tree and that's what's going to happen. <laughs> exactly. That was like literally the things my mom says, like <clears throat> she even told us one time for our dog and, and looking back on all this, it probably explains why I'm as, as screwed up as I am. But she was like, if that dog gets sick, I'm not going to take it to the vet to put it down. I'm going to take it in the backyard and hit its head with a brick. <laughs> hey, Merry Christmas. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, but that was just really my upbringing with, I guess, the medical world as a whole. Okay. It was just very much so like, we don't touch it. That's not what we do. Okay. Um, it was even like at the point where one time my mom, there was a grease fire in our house and she got like third degree burns on her arms and her face. And she wasn't going to go to the hospital. Hmm. Like it, it, just, it was just like, we had to beg her to go in the ambulance. And it was, it was just but that was like the demeanor around health and hospitals and doctors. It was just, we don't have money. We don't touch it. Yeah. And so that was definitely a big thing for me growing up is I just thought you don't, you don't go to the doctor. Right. You fit, you figure it out was really what it was. So then when I was about 18, I started feeling like tingling in my toes and that was just scared the crap out of me because obviously I saw what happened with my dad. And so I decide to take his little blood meter and I, and I check it and it's at like three forty-seven, like really high. Yeah. And that just freaked me out. And so finally, when I was 18, I decided to, it was after that point, I decided to go to the doctor at that point I had insurance. I didn't even know what to do with it. Like <laughs> I was like, Oh, insurance. What's that? Just holding up this card in the room going, can someone help me? Can someone help me? That was literally how it was. Like I had no idea how to use my insurance. Nobody had taught me. And so I just go into like the United Healthcare. um, 
thing. I don't know if I can say insurance names or not, but I go into their little portal and I like just search for like a doctor, mm-hmm. like anybody. I'm like, I don't know. Just somebody. Of course I pick the worst doctor on the face of the planet <laughs> by chance. And so I go to him and like I said, he was just horrible, like 18 years old, super thin diabetic family history. He doesn't even do like he does an A1C and then he gives me metformin says don't gain weight. That's it. Like that was the diagnosis. About 11 years ago, 18 years old by yourself. Yep. Yep. By myself in a doctor's room. Hey, you were probably thrilled when he didn't, um, you were probably thrilled when he didn't threaten to hit you in the head with a brick. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So no, just the whole experience. And so like really my whole diabetic journey was very, I guess very lonely in a lot of ways because I didn't know anything. Right. And so I had to learn what questions to ask and what to do and how to advocate for myself. Um, so it's, it's been a very, a very interesting journey. We'll tell, say that. Tell me what was your A1C when you were 18? It was a five points. Um, no, not that's wrong. Um, Six point four I want to say okay so it wasn't crazy but, but it was definitely enough. yeah it was definitely in that that pre-diabetic range okay um so that's why it's been a very slow like onset for me yeah um so I started taking metformin and I just I don't I, I don't know I didn't like the way I felt I was raised very we don't go to doctors natural remedies and so I just felt really weird about it um and then I took it <clears throat> and then shortly after that I actually got engaged to my husband and we got married really young. So I would have too, if I was you. (laughs) Yeah. We're like, I'm not doing this by myself. I got to get out of here. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Get out of my, my crappy little apartment. Yeah. Um, So anyways, I got engaged and once again, it was a very, we were in a very like toxic religious environment that was about, we, we just pray for healing you know, and it was, is very, very toxic and unhealthy. And so we decide that I'm going to stop taking my metformin and we're just going to trust God and just pray it away, which is, I, oh, I could go on and on and on. About uh, Melody, that. hold you on don't... a second. Hold on. I want you to slow down a couple of little things. You're, you're a little excited, which is fine, but I think you're either banging on the microphone wire or touching, oh. the, or touching the table a lot. Don't do that. Okay. Move it. That's fine. Okay. And, um, give a drink. Um, I can get one. Get yourself, I don't have one now. Take yourself a water. Take a drink. Relax for a second. Okay. Okay. Because we're going to dig into a lot of stuff and I don't want to dry you out and get you overexcited. I'm, okay. I'm, let me, let me grab some water really quick. One second. I bet you didn't know this, but it's possible that you're eligible for a free 30 day trial of the Omnipod Dash. 30 days of an insulin pump for free. Go to omnipod.com forward slash juice box to find out. Maybe you're not looking for the dash. Maybe you'd like to find out more about Omnipod 5, Omnipod's newest algorithm-based system. That information also exists at omnipod.com forward slash juice box. You really can't go wrong with this link if you're looking for a great insulin pump. If you're looking for tubeless, if you're looking for Omnipod. With Omnipod, you can kiss multiple daily injections goodbye, and you can do it with no tubing attached. My daughter's been using Omnipod forever, and one of the greatest aspects of it is that it's not attached to anything. 
The Omnipod is just this, it's a little pod that you wear and all of the things you need to do to make it work, you know, the machinations, the buttons you push, that happens on a separate device. That device is not connected to you by a tube, which means you don't have to stuff it in your pants or your bra or wherever, I don't know, wherever people with tube pumps carry all that crap. Omnipod is tubeless and it's worth checking out. Go to omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Scroll down a little bit to where it says get started with one of these options. You can either check your coverage for Omnipod, that's your insurance coverage. You can see if you're eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash, or you can actually click on it right here. It says talk to an Omnipod specialist. Take your right to somebody, a living person. And before you know it, et voila, you're on your way to understanding Omnipod and getting started. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. For full safety risk information and free trial terms and conditions, you can also visit Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Now that you've decided to get an insulin pump, you need a place to get it from. How about US Med? US Med is the number one distributor for Freestyle Libre Systems. Number one specialty distributor for Omnipod Dash. Omnipod Dash, we just talked about that. They're also the number one fastest growing tandem distributor nationwide. The number one rated distributor in Dexcom customer satisfaction surveys. If you get the Omnipod 5, you're also going to be using a Dexcom G6. Wouldn't it be nice to get all of your supplies in one central location from a place that does a good job of sending you your supplies? US Med is A plus rated with a better business bureau. They accept Medicare nationwide and over 800 private insurers. They carry everything from insulin pumps and diabetes testing supplies to the latest in CGMs. They always provide you with 90 days worth of supplies. And of course, the shipping is fast and free. Better service and better care is what you're going to get at US Med. Now, here's how you get started. You call a phone number 888-721-1514 to get a free benefits check. Or if you don't like talking on the phone, you can also do it at usmed.com forward slash juicebox. There are links in the show notes to US Med, Omnipod, and all of the sponsors of the Juicebox podcast. When you click the links, you're supporting the show. Okay, we're back. All right. I'm super excited to talk to you about all this. Do you mind digging into some of it? No, not at all. all right. It's all right. this has been my life. So I'm I'm excited somebody wants to listen <laughs> to me rant. <laughs> <laughs> well, for $40, a therapist will listen to it, but that's not the point. Um, I'll do it for free. Um, <laughs> Sounds good. So the, the husband that we just pawned the kid off on, same guy you married when you were younger? Same guy. Okay. Yes. Um, you and he together decided to let Jesus take the wheel? In a way, I was okay. very much so, um, I want to say submissive. Like it was just a very unhealthy culture. I don't know if you have any background in like the religious world at all, but it was just a very unhealthy culture of the man is the head of the household. Okay. And, and so, so he felt the need as a young man to fill that role. 
Right. Even though now, like our, our relationship is completely different. Cool. Um, completely. Like we totally had the opportunity to grow up together and realize how much just bull crap. Was going <laughs> so on much, life. so much was going on. Okay. Yeah. So you and he grew up in similar ways. And, yes. and so you both kind of escaped together and then you fall back into what you saw when you were growing up, which was the man says something, the lady does it kind of thing. Yeah, and, exactly. And pe- for people who don't understand, because uh, uh, that haven't ever mirrored that, the guy can feel like, well, that's my job. I'm supposed to tell everybody what to do. Like it doesn't, it's not as, um, it's not as domineering from their perspective as it feels probably from your perspective. It's more like, it, it's like, this is my responsibility. I'm supposed to be doing this. And they have no idea what they're doing, so they just knee-jerk reaction everything and then run 100 miles an hour with it. Is that about right? Exactly. That that about sums it up. Okay. So from his perspective, it wasn't at all a, I'm, I have to dominate here. It was just a, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. Got it. Got it. Okay. So so it was, yeah, it's our relationship is totally different now. Sure. Um, well, that's but, amazing that you made it through that. If you saw a therapist, they would congratulate you on working things out <laughs> and not ruining your relationship. Exactly. Like we talk, we talk a lot. We're at a point where we will literally tell each other everything. <laughs> and I've told them before, it is a miracle. We're still married. I don't know how we're still married. Wh- and why do you think that? I think it's because we both went into the marriage saying we're going to work out whatever happens. Okay. And we were just really committed to being honest with each other. And I'm definitely, I've learned as I've gotten older, I'm a very dominant personality and I'm very much so a leader. I don't like leaving conflict in a box. That's not, it makes me super uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So anytime there would be some kind of conflict, I would drag it out until, <laughs> until we dealt with it. And I really think that that was probably a big part of it is it just, we forced the issue um, of figuring it out. And he honestly had a huge transformation when he was in college because it just opened his mind to viewpoints that he hadn't even been introduced to. And so as he grew and he changed a lot of who he was, he like realized, wow, I'm kind of an asshole. (laughs) Like, um, to, to put it, sorry, I don't know if if I could say that on here, but it's, he just realized that he needed to change. And then through that, we just, I don't know, we just talked and figured it out and we're willing to work through it. Pretty cool. The hardest part is what seeing the things you don't see about yourself and then somebody points it out to you and you have to kind of swallow hard and look at yourself from a different perspective. You think that's the more difficult issues? It's definitely hard because in order to admit you need to be better, you have to admit that you've been wrong. And that's one of the hardest things to do for a lot of people, especially when you are raised in that culture of I have to be the leader. I can't be wrong. I have to man up, so to speak. Yeah. So I give him a lot of props for the the transformation he made because it went from him feeling like he needed to take charge, even from a medical perspective, to you tell me what you need and I'll be there. Mm-hmm. And and it's it's been a huge, huge difference for us. How did he overcome that, do you think? Like, how did he 
give away the idea that you weren't going to be lost without his direction? It, it was really going to school was huge because that, that changed so much for him. Um, he changed a lot of his, his politics, his beliefs, just everything. Mm -hmm. And then one of the biggest things for us though, is we actually went through a program together. It's actually one, um, that we're doing through the company I work with. Okay. So it's a personal development program. And basically it was all centered around asking deeper questions and digging into what is true here, not just what do you believe, but what is actually true. And it forced some very deep and uncomfortable conversations between us that made us just actually own up to who we were and yeah. who we wanted to be. And that, like, we literally like describe our life. The program is called the creator purge. We describe our life as pre-creator purge and post-creator purge. Cause it was such a big impact on us. Like just digging into our own selves and realizing how much insecurity and fear there was for both of us. Okay. And it, that just, it just absolutely changed our marriage 100%. And with that, everything diabetic for me because it, people think that like a diabetic diagnosis just lives on its own, but it doesn't like it affects everything yeah. in your life. No, for sure. Okay. So that's kind of crazy. Um, day to day medically for those 11 years, you're taking metformin. Is it messing with your stomach or did your body get used to it? So after so taking this back when we decided we're just going to let Jesus take the wheel, mm -hmm. right? I stopped all medication. Um, I wasn't testing. <laughs> it was literally like worst thing I could do. I stopped testing. Um, I just decided I'm just going to have faith. And when I was 21, we had been married for about a year. We go to apply for life insurance and they do all the blood work and I'm denied for life insurance at 21 because of high blood sugars. Mm -hmm. um, I want to say my A1C at that point was probably about a 7.7 ish. Okay. So definitely like kind of creeping up. And so same thing. I don't really even know anything in this world of diabetes. I'm super like disheartened because this is still the point where our marriage is really on the rocks. Um, I go to see a holistic medical doctor. She's actually a, what do they call it? An acupuncture doctor. Okay. <laughs> Not at all who I needed to be seeing. Well, maybe if they poked enough holes in you, the sugar would come out. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. And so I actually started a very strict vegan diet. And so my approach, cause I did some Google searches and I learned, I was just looking type two diabetes. Mm -hmm. I didn't even consider type one or Modi or anything else, just because I had always heard if you don't have type one as a baby, you're not type one. You're oh, type okay. two. I see. So my approach was, okay, well, let me see how I can fix myself. And so that led me down the path of diet. And so I started a very strict vegan diet, which helped because my body was still making a little bit of insulin. Mm -hmm. So the fact that I was eating so clean and so disciplined, it dropped my blood sugar enough to kind of get approved for life insurance. Where did your A1C go to? It went down to, I think, a 6.3 or a 6.4. Did you know that so that still wasn't optimal? I didn't. I never imagined. Okay. Like, I didn't even know what a good A1C was. Like, my dream was a 5.7. Okay. 
I, I thought I could never reach a 5.7 right. ever. Um, Your dream was life insurance. Why were you trying so hard to get life insurance when you were 21? It was just what we thought we were supposed to do. Like as young adults, we were like, okay, well, we're supposed to set up retirement plans. We're supposed to get life insurance. Like we were just completely winging this whole adult thing. Yeah. It was just because my husband didn't know either. His parents are very similar in the sense of they don't really talk about things. Mm -hmm. They kind of just let them be. And so can I ask you you a side question? Now that you're a person who talks to their husband, why do you think other people don't talk to each other? I think because it can be really difficult to just embrace what is true and to recognize that we all go through things and we have to be okay with accepting someone else's flaws. Mm-hmm. And so it can be really painful. Like, some of the issues that we have had to dig through and actually resolve were really painful in the moment. And it's really easy to choose momentary okayness in order to like, but to put off actual healing in the relationship. And so it's just, there were definitely times where it was hard. Yeah. Where I like, I didn't want to, like, there were literally times where I wanted to just go drive somewhere else and be like, I'm staying with so-and-so I'm not doing this, but I like forced myself to stay. And it's just, it's really difficult because working through those things are, are painful Yeah, because you have to dig up things about yourself. I, you have to figure out why you are the way you are. And that's really hard. I find that even after, you know, it's still hard. Yeah. That's why I'm impressed when people do it because I know for me that when people I care about aren't happy or aren't um, healthy, then my focus turns completely to fixing something for them. Yeah. And I, you would have a hard time talking me out of it, believing, talking me out of believing that my energy isn't best served trying to help them. Mm-hmm. And, and so even if you stepped in front of me and said, Scott, I don't help me, I would think, and not even think, it's hard to, it, it, it's a, it's an impulse, right? Well, no, they just don't know how bad this is for them. I see how bad it is for them. I can save them. That kind of feeling. Exactly. It's a terrible feeling to live with because you don't know it's happening. Like, it's not like you don't step out of the situation and never think, um, while they're right, they don't need my help or they don't want my help, you know, which is a weird thing to try to accept too, especially when you care about somebody and they don't want your help. And then you realize that like, you know, there is a world where you could be right. This person could be going down a bad path or um, going to end up having a bad outcome. And there's just nothing that they're going to let you do about it. And the more you try, the further like of a chasm you push between each other. Yeah, I think it's important. The reason I'm talking about it so much right now with you is A, you brought it up and B, because, you know, there are a lot of people who listen, who take care of people with type one, who are at some point or another may run into this exact problem. And you have to decide, like, what path are you going to head down? Are you going to ruin your relationship to save someone's blood sugar? 
because eventually, exactly. eventually you'll, you'll wedge yourself so far apart. You won't have any input into their health anyway, or do you step back and try to let them do their thing? And hopefully you can be there if it falls apart or hopefully they can figure it out on their own. For so, sure. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. it's, it's really become a fine, a fine balance for us. Um, we're at the point now, cause I have, I have, I'm fully insulin dependent now. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to give you a little flash forward. I'm on the Omnipod and the Dexcom. Thanks to Juicebox Podcast. Yay, <laughs> amazing, Mark. amazing combo. I am telling you. Um, but he literally checks my blood sugar at night because I usually go to sleep before I do. So he has the app on his phone and he'll come and he'll punch in my blood sugar into the Omnipod and give whatever correction is necessary. And so we've we've come to the point where literally like, – he helps take care of me. And that is definitely a level of trust that we've had to get to. Mm -hmm. And I would say for anybody that maybe is dealing with that, that they have a loved one that they're trying to figure out how to help. I would say the best thing that you can do is listen and ask questions and just go on the learning journey with them. Yeah. Because there's so many nuances to being a diabetic. Like you are literally, I don't have to tell you, you're literally controlling an organ from the outside. And there are some days where it's just, it's just tough. Yeah. yeah some days it doesn't there's, work there's, out so well. There's no ways around it. Yeah. It's just tough. It wow. just sucks. Okay. So, geez, this has got like, so what's Modi? <laughs> I still don't know what Modi. <laughs> By the way, no matter how many people I talk to about Modi, I don't really know what Modi is. It doesn't matter how many times I Google it, I don't know what Modi is. But maybe you're going to be the one that's going to set me straight today. Maybe I'll be the one. Yeah. I get I get super passionate about this. I talk to everybody, and that's actually really helped me with this journey. Is rather than allowing myself to become a victim, I use it as a chance to educate the people around me. Mm-hmm. And I just, I tell them about it. I'm like, oh yeah, this is what I have. And, and this is what it does. And this is why, and this is why. And rather than giving them a chance to feel bad for me, it it allows me to educate. And then as I educate, I learn more. So anyway, um, I just, I think it's important to teach the things you learn to the people around you as well. Absolutely. Okay. Ready? Hold on. Okay. Wait, wait, I'm on, I'm just clicking now. I'm just on the webs. I'm on the internet right now uh looking at modi uh what is maturity onset diabetes of the young is that first of all your understanding of what modi stands for yes okay yes it is because immediately it then says modi is a monogenic form of diabetes and then my brain goes wait did they mean m was monogenic that's only because i'm not that smart um that usually first occurs during adolescence or early adulthood modi accounts for up to two percent of all cases of diabetes in the u.s in people ages 20 or younger Okay. Yes. That so, all makes sense? Okay. Yes. So to kind of break down, at least to my understanding, obviously, I am not a doctor, but I have done lots and lots of Google searches. <laughs> and I was actually blessed enough to land with an endocrinologist that is really um, knowledgeable of Modi. Oh, cool. Which which has been incredible for me. Like, it was a total godsend. Um, this woman, I have the best endocrinologist in the world, but at least in my opinion. Um, so just to kind of break down what Modi is from my understanding. So mature onset diabetes of the young, it basically means it's diabetes that pops up in your adolescence. 
is essentially what it means. Mm -hmm. And the thing that sets Modi apart from, let's say, type one is it is truly a genetic disorder. It is not an autoimmune disorder. So with type one, there's the autoimmune component where obviously the beta cells of your pancreas, it, it attacks itself and your, your, your body stops being able to read what's happening, which is why your pancreas eventually shuts down and all that jazz, you mm-hmm. know, all that with Modi, it does not have that autoimmune disorder. So when I was first tested for type one, all of the tests came back negative. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was actually in my pregnancy with my daughter, the one, the one we shipped off. Yeah. Um, I went in, so little story, story time. I got pregnant with her. I went in to see my OB and my primary care doctor is, is amazing. He basically told me because you're dealing with diabetes and he didn't really know either, but I don't expect family care doctors to be incredibly knowledgeable about diabetes. It's not their field, but he was smart enough at least to say, we need you to go see an OB right away. And they're going to get you into a specialist because they're going to help you. Mm -hmm. So I go immediately, I see my OB and he sends me immediately over to the perinatal, which is like high risk pregnancy. And they hook me up with a diabetic educator. She tells me, um, you can continue metformin or we can try insulin. It's, it's your choice. Like I'm, I can't tell you what to do, but these are kind of your options. And so metformin, I wasn't taking it at the time. At this time, I actually had switched to a strict ketogenic diet, which helped my blood sugars immensely, but only because I wasn't eating carbs. That was, that was it. Like there wasn't any other, any other science to that. I thought you were going to tell me you switched to Buddha. close enough. (laughs) Um, no. So at that point I was doing strictly ketogenic, but when I got pregnant, I just couldn't maintain it. Obviously your body needs carbohydrates, um, especially in pregnancy. And so I decide, well, I'll, I'll give insulin a shot, see what happens. No pun intended. Go ahead. (laughs) Exactly. Thank you. (laughs) I didn't even think of that. Um, so I start taking insulin and magically my sugars just fix. There's like, and I'm talking small, small doses. Mm-hmm. I'm having lows, like crazy lows for like two or three units. Like, and it just, I'm floored. I'm like, what is this? What is happening here? Because I thought my whole life I was insulin resistant. And then I literally throw a little bit of insulin into my body and it just like takes it oh, like oh, I see throwing you, water on dry ground. Yeah. I see how you could be confused by that. Okay. Oh, that's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so I start talking to my diabetic educator and she's, she's like, well, this is confusing because you're definitely not a type two. And she was the one that first sent me for my um, type one antibody screening. And she's like, your tests are negative. So you're not a type one. You're definitely not a type two. I don't know what to tell you. And so basically they told me regardless, well, I started doing digging at that point. I was like, is there something in the middle? Is there mm-hmm. something going on? Right. And so good old Google, I started researching and sure enough, I discover what I found at the time was Modi and it just made all the sense in the world Wow. because a lot of surefire signs like red flags for Modi 
is when diabetes doesn't skip generations. Because with like a type one, it is an autoimmune disorder. And so it's not, it's not necessarily genetic. There might be genetic leanings, but it could absolutely skip generations. Like you could be a type one diabetic and not have type one diabetic children. That's just, but this moody thing, just it, it, every, every line gets it. Like, do you think your daughter will have it? So it is a 50% chance. Oh, wow. So if one of your parents has it, at least with my specific type, um, the way my endocrinologist explained it is she said it's Modi three with a dominant gene. So if I pass that gene onto my daughter, 50, 50 chance, she will have Modi. And I'm actually, I'm actually expecting my second daughter right now. So same thing with her. If I pass that gene, she will be diabetic. I didn't know you were pregnant. Congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate yeah, it. I'm, yeah. I'm, they're inducing in about five weeks. Really? So we're, we're right there. <laughs> That's amazing. Look at you. You're uh, you're doing a thing. You know, I have through this entire conversation, I'm, I'm really interested. And at the same time, I can't wait till this is over so I can watch Coco Melon and see what it is. <laughs> I would play it right now, but I don't think legally I can let the audio run. Um, during probably, the podcast. probably not. Yeah, yeah. Just but imagine nursery rhymes where they like put their own twist on it, but it kind of makes you mad because then they ruin the nursery rhyme. And <laughs> it so makes you angry. Imagine <laughs> it makes a, me angry. Imagine yes. a cartoon that makes you angry. <laughs> yeah, no, but at the same time, I love it because whenever I need to make dinner, I just like turn it on. That yeah. I think that was literally one of her first words was Coco. She was Coco. Coco. So <laughs> must have been disappointing. Uh, uh, yeah, I know. I know. So if you really want to be disappointed. Um, Arden told me the other day, hey, she goes, uh, just three days until the next uh, season of Big Mouth comes out on Netflix. And I was like, oh, yeah, my daughter and I have that in common. We watch Big Mouth together. Um, hey, you know what? Whatever, whatever works. For I have you. to ask you a question before we move on. You early, earlier, you like wanted to tell a story and you said story time. Was that a Burt Kreischer reference? I don't. Who's Burt Kreischer? Okay, if you don't know those words, then it's not. I was just checking. That's all. He's a comedian. I know that. Oh, okay. I know there was the guy on. Was it Vine? He'd go story time. So I, did, I didn't know that one. But anyway, like I just I was wondering where that if it was just something you were saying or if you were referencing something. No. I think I I was just saying. That's it, fine. But. <laughs> I, I, okay, so let, let, let's let's like try to like bring this all little tie it up and then okay. we're gonna build on it again. Um. You grew up in a home where nobody talked about health and people yes. didn't take care of their health. You didn't have health insurance. When you became 18, you found out you had diabetes. They told you it was type two. You believed your father lived all that time with type two diabetes as well. Um, you got married early. I did want to ask, was your husband in college while you were married? Were you guys married in college? He had just started college. So we got married. He had been in college. He was in his first semester when we got married. Were you in college? So I was taking classes at the time. We actually took a couple classes together. We like worked it out to try to be in the same class. Uh And I was actually going to study music, um, music education. And I learned very quickly. That was not for me Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I hate teaching in a school setting. And so I just decided I, I didn't even know what to do. So I decided to um, drop out and just let him go because financially it was just going to be a very big burden on both of us. Okay. Um, so he went to school. I ended up dropping out and just kept working. Is there any chance that you did that because you felt 
that it was his job more than yours or just because you did not enjoy the setting? I think it was probably a little of both. Mm -hmm. Um, The more I dig back into what I've been through, I find that that mindset really permeated so much of what I did, just everything. Um, So it definitely wouldn't surprise me if there, if that there was reasoning there, I haven't actually thought about it. So that's a great question. I I don't, you're Um, you're very pregnant right now. I don't want to make you think about things that you haven't thought about (laughs) yet. I I am not crying with you on this podcast this morning. I I know, right? I don't have it in me. Just not today. Um, I'm with you. Okay. So, uh, all right. So that happens. Treat you like a type two for a while. Doesn't work. A lot of metformin, get pregnant. And then boom, we're we're not type one. We're not type two. You start Googling Modi. And then how long has it been since you've known that? So once I had my daughter, because basically the perinatals, they told me, even if you get a different diagnosis at this point, we can't, we're just going to keep treating the way we're treating. Pregnancy is just weird. Like hormones are everywhere. So we can't, we're just going to keep treating with insulin because it's working. Okay. Once you have your daughter, we're going to hook you up with an endocrinologist. So once I had my daughter, that's when I went to see my endocrinologist. I told her some of my, my theories mm-hmm. and she sent me for actual Modi lab work, which was a genetic screening. Cool. And, and they found sure enough, the Modi gene and it was an actual Modi type three diagnosis. You're like Dr. House. Does that reference fall on you? Are you too? I've never watched Dr. House. No, but I know what you're talking about. The show was just called House, by the way. And oh, you, and well, you, that's goes to show I've never but, watched yeah, but it. You, but you really did. You like you took a bunch of like you took you took some information, you took some happenstance, you took some, you know, historical knowledge, you went to the internet, you pieced it all together, and you diagnosed yourself. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Pretty with like one credit and music appreciation. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> and a, a rough shot upbringing. You're a genius, Melanie. Uh, I appreciate it. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> no, Thank you, you. Should, you should. Should be like. Are you like ever incredibly proud of yourself? Do you ever like? I am yeah. actually. I would be too. In a, I am. Yeah. I'd run around telling people. I'd be like, I know what's wrong with you. Just come here. I'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll you, figure this out. You, me, and Google. We got this. Do you have you become the person? Like, are you like the, are you like the medical person in the house now when something happens? I am. I absolutely am. It's what's funny is, and I will, I'll actually give a lot of credit to the juice box podcast because there isn't a whole lot of Modi stuff out there mm-hmm. because it is, it's, it's just such a strange type of diabetes. I just treat myself like a type one. Okay. So if I ever like need to tell somebody what's going on and I don't want to like sit there and explain it. I just tell them I'm a type one. I'm just like, I've got, yeah, I don't I, want to deal with this. I don't know how you, I don't, in a world where people don't know the difference between type two and type one, actually in a world where people would get burnt with grease and think they're not going to the hospital. I don't know how you explain <laughs> Modi diabetes to people. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. so, so that's kind of how I treat. Um, but I really have, like, I just took it and ran with it and I decided I am going to, I am going to figure this out. I now that I know what's wrong, mm-hmm. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to figure out. And sure enough, like I was able, so during my first pregnancy, I started with an A1C of 6.3 and in pregnancy with insulin management, it dropped it to a 5.4 Hey, good for in you. pregnancy. Wow. 
which was insane. And then after that, I started this next pregnancy with an A1C of 5.1. And yeah, I was, it's been amazing. And now like I peaked at 5.4 and now I'm back to 5.3. Melanie, but I've, are you back yeah. on the? Are you on the show to tell me that there's finally going to be a baby named after me? What's going on right now? Is well, she's it? a girl, ah, damn so it. <laughs> never mind. Scottette. It's not going to work. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. don't. Th- it doesn't have. I don't want to. I don't want to hang that on the kid. Don't worry about it. Let it go. <laughs> uh, well, that's really. I appreciate you saying that. I. I also, while you were saying it, thought you're ex- the exact kind of person who would like this podcast because you mm-hmm. you completely believe that you need to you know kind of take your own health in your hands and and shepherd it along its way and you, that you can't wait for somebody else to fix it for you. Yeah, you have to. And I've I've also been blessed with a great care team. Um I don't know if that's just because they're great or because I do my research, but <laughs> all of my doctors, they're so hands-off. Like even my endocrinologist, she's like, "Well, call me if you need anything." <laughs> Like, don't you imagine in a private room they're like they get together like at lunch and they're like hey melanie's like figuring all this out we don't even have to do anything this is terrific don't even talk when she comes in let her talk first <laughs> she probably already knows what's going on we can just nod along and look like geniuses i know right <laughs> so it's and that's how it is with my diabetic educator too she tells me she's like you're doing a great job. You're, you're teaching me things. She's like, you know more about your pump than I know about it. So, so it's, and I feel like that's, what's really important too, is you have to own your education at the same time, understanding that you can also like teach your doctors, Yeah. but, but with the humility of understanding that they're there to help you. Because I think when I originally went into the medical setting. Cause it had, I'd never went into it. And as a kid, I almost had this like s- suspicion, like all doctors are here to do is to get me to take drugs and take my and money, get, take my money. Exactly. Yeah. And then I've realized that I do have a really great care team, but they're not with you every single day. Like they can't be. And so you have to take that ownership. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, let me ask you a question. You're an employed person now and you have health insurance, obviously. Yes. Um, looking back and now that you have a child and, and one on the way, talk about what it's like to live without health insurance from the perspective of somebody who now knows what it's like to have it. I mean, what is, is it a, I, I mean, I look at it as a scourge, you know, on us. It's a, it's a plague on our house kind of a thing. Everybody should be covered with, uh, yeah. reasonable health insurance. A person at 18 years old shouldn't walk into a doctor's office and be like, wow, this is a doctor's office. Crazy. Exactly. You know, I shouldn't be 20 years old going like, I guess I should get my teeth cleaned. You, you, you know, like, like that kind of stuff like that shouldn't yeah. be happening to people. It's very basic care stuff. It's not, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's no great. It's just it's just no great leap to say that people shouldn't have to live like that. Your mom shouldn't have to burn herself and think, I can't get in that ambulance. I can't even afford the ride, let alone what's going to happen when I get there. Yeah. You know, it's oh, this is a whole rabbit hole we could go down. Oh, we're I get, about to go ahead. Melanie. <laughs> I get very frustrated, especially. Well, let me put it this way. I feel like. I have people. Okay, I have people in my family that are very staunch, like Republican, 
why should I have to pay for healthcare for someone that's not going to be healthy? And I've had to take that opportunity to educate them and tell them like, there are some things people cannot control. And so I've learned that a lot of the people that are so, so-called against like a universal healthcare type system, most of them are just very, very ignorant. Some people are just awful people, but a lot of people are very ignorant and I'm, I'm very blessed to have health insurance because that's not something that everyone has. And I'll even go into the Facebook group and see people that are struggling with stuff. And I just, it breaks my heart. Like, and I wish I had the magic solution. I wish I do did because it is absolutely terrifying to have to choose between your health and whether or not you're going to buy groceries. Like, it's no. it's wrong. Yeah. In my viewpoint, is it's very very wrong. And let me say this: I, wish, I don't know. I don't know that it breaks so easily down um, party lines. I bet you that the that sen- that sentiment of I worked hard, let them work hard too. I don't, I think you'd find Democrats and Independents and Republicans all willing to to feel that, if not say it out loud. Um, I think it's a, I think it's kind of a human idea. Like people like to feel like they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps or things weren't given to them, you know, that kind of thing. And you, you want to feel like what you did was special. Like sometimes I don't know if it's so much about how a person would feel about another person as it is about wanting to feel like you've accomplished something like, look, like, because if, if there are no poor people, then I don't get to feel good about what I've accomplished. If we're all on the same level, then why am I working so hard? There's some real psychological like bends in there that I'm sure not everybody feels that way, but there are enough. There are people who do like somebody's exactly. got to lose so I can win. I don't know if that makes sense or not. Oh no, it absolutely does. Yeah, And, and I mean, it's definitely one of those weird mechanics of life where technically that's true, but it doesn't mean that we should strive for that i think, I think it, you know yeah, you could adjust what winning means to you and then that exactly would be, you know, like maybe winning means that a stranger you've never met before gets their teeth cleaned when they're nine years old and that's a good <laughs> thing and you let that be you know um, exactly i just see it pretty basically as people's bodies break down and everyone dies and on the way to that death they require health care you're going mm-hmm. to either give them the money at the end after they've lived a hard life that they'd or just give them money in the beginning and make their life better. I mean, exactly. how the hell does that not make sense? Like, you know what I mean? Like it's the same money, just put it in a better place. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And I think that you're spot on when you say that people want, like they do when they want to feel special. And we have idolized this idea of, like you said, pulling yourself up from your bootstraps and being the success story. Yeah. You know, cause I've talked to people and they're like, well, I believe that no matter what happens, anyone can kind of pull themselves up. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but should they have to? Well, also, can they? And is that fair? Like, you know, if you come yeah. from a systemic situation where for, I mean, imagine 10 generations of people who barely get through high school and never go to college, right? Like, how how is how is the 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 mother in 2020 that's from that line of, you know, of despair, how is she going to make a good decision for herself or her kid? 
She doesn't have the tools. Like you said yourself, your husband had to go to college and meet a lot of other people to hear a lot of other opinions and ideas before he could kind of coalesce them together and say, all right, well, this thing I heard when I was a kid, that's not right, but this does sound right. And I'm going to take this and this and put it together and turn myself into a person. That's, you know, we just act like that's always going to come from parents when the truth is it probably doesn't come from parents as frequently as we'd like to hope. Yeah. And then, in, well, you know, and then we just put it on them go, oh, they should have done a better job. Well, they don't know how to do a better job. Exactly. You know? That's all. Well, what's even what's funny to me um, is my family, obviously, who we've talked about extensively. Um, and just to give you a little a little backstory, too, I have five brothers and sisters. Oh. So chances are I'm not the only one with this condition. Um, but none of them will go get tested because oh, my see. family still doesn't have health insurance. Oh, they and want so, to know. Yeah, they're going to live their life into the ground then. And, and so I've begged them, go get tested, go figure it out. But And I finally had to decide, I'm not their mother. I can't do anything. I've talked to my mom about it. I've told her, push them to get tested. But I can't. And those same siblings are some of the ones that are so against getting any type of help, any type of quote unquote handout. And it's, it's just heartbreaking to me because I'm sitting here saying, you could have what I have. <laughs> like, yeah. you don't, you're just ignoring it. Well, and, and you have do, all these viewpoints yeah. that are against your own interest. And so that's, that's why I say I think a lot of people say things out of ignorance is because they just, they think they're fine. Yeah. And it's easy to hold a viewpoint when you've never dealt with it. Listen, $45 worth of rubbers would have been you know, sent to your dad, we would have been in a better situation, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I mean, theoretically, yeah. yeah, theoretically, you're like, he wouldn't have used them. <laughs> no, no, probably not. no, but no, that's horrible to think about. I didn't mean to talk about your parents having sex. I apologize right now. For no, that. you're, you're yeah, fine. Yeah. I've, I've had so many uncomfortable conversations in my lifetime that nothing scars me anymore. Well, so, and see, so isn't it interesting too? I'm going to have to clear my throat. I apologize. <clears throat> I've, uh, oh my God, I'm going to die. Hold on. <clears throat> this is it. It's almost over, Melanie. You're good. <laughs> <clears throat> I apologize. Oh. No, no worries. I was going to say, isn't it interesting that your parents won't take medical help and they don't want anybody to help them and she can't go to the hospital because she's on fire? But I'm assuming she went to a hospital to have all those babies. Um, She actually had my two younger siblings at home. God damn. No kidding. Hardcore no your mom is. She's like, I am not taking help. Look at me trying to make a point and I was wrong. Ooh, your mom's like, no, no, no. This thing comes out and we all die. That's how it has to happen. <laughs> My mom is pretty hardcore. I think that's where I get a lot of it from. My mom is stubborn. She is a stubborn woman. And I think if she learned how to like cultivate that better, she'd be a very, very like, Influential person. Successful person. Yeah. I mean, look what she's accomplished. Hey, what part of the country did you grow up in? Um, I mean, live in New Mexico. New Mexico. Okay. Huh. All right. I don't know anything about it. I was just interested to hear. Um, Holy hell. Let's take a breath for a minute, Melanie. (laughs) It's a lot. lot. Yeah, damn right. It was a lot. I thought you were going to come on and talk about Moody and I was going to go like, I don't know what Moody is. And then it was going to be over. But instead, we learned about life. I, I... Melody, I this, love it. This is a great podcast. <laughs> do you ever think that? Like, do you ever listen to it sometimes ago? I know it's a diabetes podcast, but it's really not. 
No, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And, and I fully believe that, like I kind of said at the beginning, we can't compartmentalize our health. And a lot of times people want to put their diabetes in a box, whether it be it's for them or for their kids or, or whatnot. And what I just had to learn, and this is something that I've had to process with the ever present reality that one or both of my kids could have what I have Right. is I've had to already start processing in my mind. How do I teach them to have an okay life? How do I teach them that their diabetes is not everything? And we try to just think that it's all about just fixing the diabetes. And we don't realize that your mental health matters as much as your blood sugars. Maybe it's not as immediate, right? Like you can't die from a mental hypo, but it lingers with you and it, it stays with you. And when we're helping the people around us, kind of going back to how do you, how do you help people? You cannot leave out the components of how is their mental health? How, how is this affecting their view on the world as a whole? Right? Like I had to realize down the line that a big part of why it was so hard for me to get medical help is I had this idea in my mind that I was not worth spending money on. My parents didn't have a lot. And I thought if I had to spend our money on medical things that I was a burden to our family. Oh, you were a drain if you did that. Yeah. And so all those thoughts are so real and we can't neglect those and we can't neglect addressing them with ourselves and with other people too, is reaffirming for them. You're not a drain on this family. Like you have no reason to feel guilty for this. Like I have spent years feeling guilty. Like I would even, there were times I would tell my husband, I'm so sorry that I'm, I'm such a drain on our budget. And it was just like, it, it, it stems into everything. And yep. so we can't just put it in a box and say, let's fix the problem. You have to thank We have you. to say. Go, go ahead. I'm sorry. I cut you off. I apologize. No, I was just going to say, we have to look at the external elements as well. How is this affecting my view on my finances? How is this affecting my relationships? Right? Because it can become very easy as well to start viewing yourself as the problem child or they just have to take care of me. And we start viewing ourselves as diabetes hmm. and not as a person in the family. That sort of comes back around to what we said earlier about wanting to help somebody. And I never considered that you would make that person feel like a burden because they they were somebody you looked at who felt like they needed help even. Yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate you bringing this up. I mean, I recorded... I don't even know how many podcasts at this point, probably like 650 of them. And this yeah. has never come up. Like no one's ever used, like, I, I just, seriously, I believe that people who grow up in a hard way have so much to share and they don't get an opportunity sometimes to share it. So I'm really glad that you're here talking about it. Um, but just in general, like the idea of not feeling worthy of having a dollar spent on you is I bet you foreign to a lot of people and probably um, very real to more people than you would think. Yeah. Especially if you grew up with tight, with tight funds. Yeah. Right. Because you see, you see the budget and, and for my husband and I, we've, we're very, um, we're very good with our money. Um, we budgeted 
always because it was just the adult thing to do. We didn't know why we just did it and it, it panned out well for us. Yeah. <laughs> but actually seeing those medical expenses on the budget and, and I still, I still struggle with it to this day because medical supplies, even with insurance are not cheap. Oh, Melanie, I feel broke no matter how much money I have. Yeah. <laughs> I could have an amount of money and double it and I would still feel broke. And exactly. I, I grew up after my dad took off when I was 13, made my brother, brother eight, my other brother three. So three, eight, 13, my mom went to get a job because she'd only ever had like this part-time job for like extra money. And she went to them and said like, I need full-time hours. And they're like, yeah, great. But she worked in a like a private clothing store. Like right. by private, I mean like it wasn't part of a chain. And I remember she was making $3.75 an hour. And so wow. that was probably in 83 three-ish, right? And I remember when she got a raise to four and a quarter and how excited we all were. And um, I remember that there were times where we had like a number, I think it was like $60 we could spend on food a week. Um, we were relying on, we were, we rented a home and, but it was a home that was owned by a church. Uh, so it was like the parsonage that they didn't use. So they rented it yeah. out to us. And we lived in it for years, like for a long time. But then my dad left. And the entire time I lived there, they never raised the rent. Wow. So by the time I left, by the time I moved out, probably seven or eight years later, now into like the early 90s, they were still charging my mom $300 a month to rent a three-story house that had four bedrooms in it. Wow. Because, and without that, we wouldn't have made it. That's crazy. Like, and, and so like when you hear tight budget, like understand what that really means. It doesn't mean like, you know, like you can't get a PlayStation when they make a PlayStation five because it's expensive. Like it meant like we didn't have anything. Yeah. Yeah. Like Christmas was, um, at Christmas we got things we needed because you just, what Christmas was, was the things you needed to survive wrapped in paper. (laughs) exactly i mean it wasn't quite a can of soup wrapped up but you know if you needed a (laughs) if you needed a jacket you know you and it got you know if it got cold in october and you had outgrown your jacket well you just stayed cold till december 25th so mom had something to give you on christmas like you know exactly and and that's even lucky for a lot of people Mm -hmm, for sure i mean i i totally get that like i don't i think i can count on one hand the amount of like new things i got as a kid you yeah. know, and it was just, and even then there was so much guilt around it and it's, it's just real, everything, you know, that. Yeah. Everything that happened in my life, I thought, how are we going to pay for that? Everything. Yeah. It didn't matter what happened. If something broke, it was like, well, that's gone now. Cause we can't replace it. Or if something had to happen, I don't know how we're going to pay for that. It took me years into my adulthood not to feel that way. And I, and like I said, I still feel broke in my head. And I'm mm-hmm. not, and I and I still feel like I am. It, ironically, and my bigger point around this was going to be that broke people have great perspective, um, yeah. and they and they know how to get they know how to get around and through things. And one of those ways that I'm going to tell you, you know, is 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 a happy story, is that the success of this podcast is partially due to the fact that I grew up broke, because when I see downloads, which mean people listening it never feels like enough to me. Wow. Like, so it's the same as the money. Like, I never feel like I have enough money because it's all going to go away or we're going to lose it or I'm not going to have enough. And the same thing about this, like, as 
So it translates well into helping people with diabetes, which of course also coalesces nicely into my feeling that I have to save everybody. So, um, so it works out really well. So like when I get hundreds of thousands of downloads in a month, I think that's a really cool. It could be more. It's my first, I never feel done. And I think that's why part of the reason why the podcast is still growing because I still push at it. Like it's not successful. Yeah. And it's, it's, I found it such a fine balance because that backstory is what can drive you to be successful. Yeah. And it's, it's important to never forsake that part of your life. Like I have grown up to be very resourceful because I had to be like, I bought, I started buying my own clothes when I was 13, mm-hmm. It's just what it was. And that has made me a very resourceful person. Like I can take anything and turn it into anything else. I'm just, I'm confident of that. Yeah. But at the same point, it can also trap you in a mindset of, like you said, feeling like it's never enough and you can never be enough and you can never reach enough. Mm -hmm. And so it really is this balance of learning how to take that, take the heart of the hardship and thrive on it, but allow yourself to become new Mm. mentally and say, this is not where I have to stay. Yeah. No, I, I feel that like I, if, you know, there are weeks sometimes when I just sit here for hours and hours and hours a day for six days a week. And I don't think anything of it because it's so much easier than the jobs I had when I was poor. Yeah. Like, so it doesn't doesn't feel like anything to me. I'm like, it almost feels like a dream. Uh, But at the same time, I know I should probably not be working this hard at something, but I'm not going to stop because then you also get the feedback from it helping people. Like, look, you came on, you talked about, like, we haven't really talked about it today, but I made a thing and you're living healthy because of it. Exactly. And that's something I hope you're proud of. (laughs) I am very much so. Uh, Thank you. But yeah, I'm not going to, I don't know. I probably don't know how to stop, but I think that's important because this can be, it can become tedious at some points. Like you are the third person I've spoken to this week. When I hang up with you, I'm going to have to say goodbye in a second. I have like 10 minutes and then I'm going to record another episode. Wow. So, and then I do Jenny tomorrow and there's editing tonight and editing tomorrow. And it just, it really doesn't like, it doesn't stop. And I love it. Like I I genuinely, genuinely love it. Um, but, uh, I don't think I could have done it if I would have grown up, uh, with money and with comfort. I know that sounds really strange, but no, I, I, I totally feel that. And, And that could lead us down a whole nother rabbit hole. I know you don't have time for it, but I think that's a lot of why some people are so married to this idea of not helping other people is because they think that you need hardship. And in a way you do, but then you have to weigh the pros and cons yeah. and say, okay, well, which hardships? <laughs> like, Melanie, let me say, in fairness, I believe that if I could have afforded to have my teeth cleaned as a child, uh, my life still would have been hard. <laughs> I feel that. So I'm not saying to pick people up and carry them along because I don't disagree either, by the way, that that you don't need the hardships. Actually, there are people who don't have any that probably could benefit from some of them. I spent a lot of time as I had kids wondering where my kids' hardships were going to come from and sometimes trying to not orchestrate them. But when they, when I saw them have trouble, I was like, let them sit in it for a while, you you know, like, like that kind of thing. So I'm with, I'm, I don't not believe that. I think it's important. I think, uh, pressure creates diamonds, et cetera, or whatever. Um, but at the same time, I mean, that pressure doesn't have to be a cavity in your mouth that you can't get taken care of. That's exactly silly. It doesn't have to be 
that you have diabetes when you're 10 and you can't afford insulin or and I and I'll um, I'll use this example and it's outside of the United States so people might you know like dismiss it but years and years ago I spoke in the Dominican Republic where uh, if you were diagnosed very early with diabetes, like super early, two, three, four years old, you were dead by the time you were 12 or 13. Gosh. You, you know, and so um, you think that can't happen here? You don't think it's happening to people here? I bet you it is. You, yeah, you know? It absolutely is. So, all right, Melody, yeah. this has been an upbeat conversation. Um, well, I appreciate you. Thank you so much <laughs> for having me. And it's it's been such a joy. And I wanted to tell you though, one, one last funny thing, please. I always listen to the podcast on like two or three speed just because to, to fit more, more in my day. Right. And so it's, it's so interesting hearing you talk at normal speed. <laughs> I can't believe this seems normal to you because most people are like, my God, you talk so fast. So I wonder what I sound like at two times speed. I'll have to listen and find out. Just go. You just sound a little higher pitch. Just a little bit. It changes my pitch. Just ever so slightly. But the resonance in my voice is my favorite thing about my voice. You can't take that from me, Melanie. <laughs> okay, if it'll make you feel better, I'll listen to one yeah, time speed. Waste more time in your life for me so that I can feel better about something that I'll never know is happening or not happening. It'll compensate for, for not naming my daughter Scottette. How about that? Listen, you could just call the kid Scott. Or you could go with my <laughs> you could go with my middle name. What's your middle name? I would never say that on here. So <laughs> <laughs> almost got it. It is such a terrible name. Uh, anyway, uh, well, I appreciate you. Good luck on your next recording. And thank you so much for all you do. I really do appreciate it. And I know it's made a big difference in my life and it will be for my daughters. Hopefully they don't have to ever deal with it, but at least they'll have an understanding and have empathy towards other people. That's very kind of you. Yes. I don't want your 20 year old daughters to have to listen to a 70 year old me tell them how to pre bolus. So, <laughs> I bet you don't be, worry. I'll, I'll take care of that. Part. I'll, be, I'll bet you I'll be talking slower by then. <laughs> then, yeah, then we'll speed it up. Yeah, then you're going to have to. Hold on one second for me, okay? Okay. I want to thank Melanie for coming on the show and sharing her story with us. And I'd also like to thank Omnipod and US Med for sponsoring this episode. Go to usmed.com forward slash juice box to get started today with US Med. Or you can call them at 888-721-1514. And of course, Omnipod Dash, Omnipod 5, and all the good Omnipod stuff we talked about is at Omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Links to the sponsors are in the show notes of the podcast player you're listening in right now and at juiceboxpodcast.com. Don't forget, if you're enjoying the show, to share it with someone else. If you're really loving it, leave a great rating and review wherever you listen. And if you're looking for that private Facebook group, it's on Facebook. That's where they keep all the Facebook groups, right there on Facebook. And it's called Juice Box Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes. It's a private group. I think that's all I have for you today, other than to say, don't forget to go to the T1D Exchange and take the survey, t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juice Box Podcast. I really appreciate that you listened today. Thank you.